This is a podcast from Coventry Climate Action Network. On the 11th of March, 2022, the seven local authorities in the Coventry and Warwickshire area met to agree how to work together and share information to address the challenges of climate change. This is the question and answer session with workshop facilitators. Can I, um, can I say before anything else, and I, I am fully aware quite a few people have gone already uh, for various important reasons, all of the slides will be available and will be posted out, thank you for reminding me down here, um, on the um, wrap-up so we can, you know, we can do that and make sure that everyone has the slides which have been really useful. Um, so thank you for that. You don't have to sit okay? at the back of the room. You can come no. forward. We, I promise I won't bite. Um, and we might even hear you better. And it isn't a church, by the way. So come forward if you want. Um, so the, this session is really um, about actually trying to get some feedback on what we've just been doing. I want to know whether you were all good in class whether you answered the questions and your teachers here are going to give a report and going to tell us uh, the outcome of that. So, uh, and if you are the ones at the back, I'll know you were naughty in class, so I shall probably have to come and ask you. So, um, really, can I come to the team here who facilitated each of those sessions? And um, what I'm going to ask you for, if you're all mic'd up, yes? All mic'd up. If we can have a sort, short summary of how how was it for you? Um, well, I'm going to start at that end because that was the first uh, group that I was with, if I may add. Is that because biodiversity begins with a B? <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're at the top of the al alphabet. Can everybody hear me? Yeah. All right. Is my mic working? Yes, it sounds like it is. Sorry, Izzy, you've caught me. Uh, so I, I need to unfold I, my notes. I, I can talk through whilst we get there. And no. by the way, um, this is a bit of an open session. We will have a Q&A afterwards. But if, you, if anyone wants to sort of suddenly chip in and remind themselves or yeah. Ed or any of us about what, what went well for them, that's good. Uh, thank you. Okay. Um, so we had about 20 people discussing in the um, uh, biodiversity workshop. Um, I found it a very stimulating uh, discussion, all too short, of course, a really weighty issue with only 40 minutes to cover it. So I think it's fair to say, with the best one in the world, we only skimmed over the top of some really meaty, important subjects. I'm sure that's the same with, with, with every session. Um, our conversation took place in the recognition of the uh, destruction and degradation of um, natural habitats that has come about because of climate change, but has also contributed to climate change. And I think it's fair to say that there was also recognition that the climate crisis and the ecological crisis are, are one and the same, and that one, or we can't fix, we can't hope to fix the climate crisis without also addressing the nature crisis. Um, there were comments and observations made that um, the other groups who were talking about uh, emissions and means of slowing down climate change, um, that if successful, those actions would give nature time to recover and give humanity time to uh, lend nature a helping hand um, along the way. 
obviously we touched a little bit on how exactly to do that. The sort of things that we uh, referred to were um, the need to be able to properly value nature and biodiversity in decision making, all types of decision making though I think we um, rested most heavily on planning perhaps giving, given the sort of public sector um, representation at the conference today. Um, there was also emphasis placed on the side benefits of addressing natural habitats and uh, enhancing biodiversity, particularly health and well-being, and um, the importance of doing this at landscape scale where different activities were connected together and not in little isolated patches that had no benefit from um, the connections between them. There was one suggestion that Warwickshire, Coventry and Solihull would benefit considerably from green corridors across all councils and all cities. And we spent quite a bit of time debating on whether urban areas should be priority or whether rural areas should be priority. Um, summar summarising that, I think we all recognise that the scale of the problem, uh, of the challenge posed by climate change is such that we need responses at scale as well. And we will get responses at scale in terms of engagement of people most readily in cities because that's where most people are yet it is in the rural area that rural areas where there is space and we'll get responses at scale particularly in terms of habitat restoration out in the countryside there isn't simply the space available for such responses in the cities um, it was very interesting to hear representation from coventry um, who were on the verge of a biodiversity strategy um, with the strapline, I think it's, uh, of woodlands, wetlands and wildflowers, the three Ws, um, where clearly consideration is being given to converting space that is no longer being used for perhaps amenity to uh, natural habitats. Um, and that sounded very exciting indeed. And the last point that I wanted to uh, just share with you is that we spent a bit of time talking about education in very broad and general terms. A couple of examples, you know, perhaps expanding the success that an emphasis on pollinators is given to getting people to pay proper attention to bees to get people to care about the, uh, the less cuddly, the less cute, and the less instantly attractive forms of biodiversity, but also generally to give children more opportunities to understand nature and experience nature in the round. Brilliant. I was there. That's absolutely got it. You can come again. Definitely. Well, I think gold stars <laughs> to everybody, is he, including yourself. <laughs> it was excellent. Really, really good um, capture of, of the very broad discussions. Did we answer the questions? I'm not sure we entirely sure we did. did, but there was some uh, good stuff out of that. I'm going to take the first um, three groups, because uh, it feels as if that would be good, and then we'll come to the others first. So, Serena, shall I come to you next? Yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, I did enjoy the, con the conversation very much. Uh, the, my group did the majority of the work. I was just listening. But they were very efficient. They respond to all the questions. So we've got <laughs> a plan now. <laughs> now, um, yeah, obviously, as, as uh, my colleague said here as well, is um, 
the topic is quite broad, so it's yeah. very difficult in half an hour to come up with the um, um, action energy and carbon reduction. That's one. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm covering the energy and carbon reduction, and discussion was uh, um, very much focused. So we focused uh, uh, specifically on uh, um, the um, uh, the big issues that are, are very common and covered as well in the morning sessions. Obviously, the energy infrastructure. Uh, we need an, a transformation of the energy infrastructure. So. Um, it is how we balance uh, the sort of uh, transformation in terms of uh, um, um, uh, using the innovations and the new technologies that we've got in place to, to enable that sort of transformation, but without uh, creating a completely um, change uh, or impact on uh, uh, resources that are available. For example, it's been mentioned in, uh, in other sections as well, the importance of uh, using also what we've got available and trying to um, adapt it to, uh, to, to the net zero sort of uh, future. So it's really important to uh, consider that as part of the transformation. And when we're talking about infrastructures, obviously, is about the provision uh, of power and heat um, in the local area. And so one of the challenges as well that we are facing is uh, uh, dealing with the grid constraints. So how we can actually um, making sure that we still um, look after and provide um, the, uh, a response to the uh, demand of energy, but at the same time uh, to reduce uh, that demand and, and ensure that the supply of energy is um, um, clean and, uh, and, and, and deliver on the net zero agenda. Another priority is obviously uh, funding and finances in terms of uh, how do we uh, make sure that we attract uh, um, investment in the Coventry Warwickshire area. Uh, and that sort of investment often comes as well, both from uh, um, funding that are coming from government, but also uh, through the, the public sectors as well. Um, one of the things that has also been flagged about uh, using uh, taxation as well is a, as a vehicle to kind of uh, provide a sort of uh, financing. And then, um, again, just to cover a little bit on the aspect of uh, heat and power demand, um, uh, making sure that is, uh, um, it, it, the demand is aligned to the uh, net zero vision on the long term. And uh, one of the things that has been suggested is obviously is to focus on priority areas. We've seen this morning and we discussed about this morning what is the, the areas that impact most on carbon. And we know that is obviously uh, building and housing and transport and, um, uh, and also like the uh, industries and businesses. So how we can target intervention in this specific area is, is, is a priority and at the same time a challenge as well. Uh, obviously, in terms of who needs to be involved, that is everyone, we know, but um, uh, key sort of uh, stakeholders, obviously, are as, like local authorities, um, the local community is very important, that we need to involve them in, in the conversation, um, businesses at all levels, um, SMEs that are lots of support, support at the moment uh, are targeting SMEs as well, but we need to make sure that there is a sort of support coming from large organisations as well. Developers, investors, obviously uh, research and development, university and, uh, in, and innovators are key in this transition to, um, to future sort of technologies. And, uh, and then the, um, the, the NOOs, uh, the energy sort of infrastructures, energy suppliers as well, uh, needs to come uh, as part of the conversation. And I know there is an example in Coventry of a really successful collaboration and partnership uh, with uh, all these kind of stakeholders. 
Um, in terms of the key enablers, uh, then it, it is very much uh, what has been said in terms of uh, sustainable uh, s businesses at all level needs to be involved in the discussion. Uh, local authorities should be using their uh, powers and lev leverage on, um, um, on making these changes and making sure that actually the local authorities act uh, as and provide that leadership for that change without leaving anyone behind anyway. So um, having ambitious policies is really important, but also a very actual and, uh, and practical delivery plans as well. Um, and then I covered before, like public and private collaboration and partnership is, is very key. And I finish off with the, first, the, the last point in terms of behavioral change. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, carbon, um, the importance of education, so carbon literacy training. Um, the, the use of carbon standards as well and labeling on products and services on a everyday sort of that impacts everyday um, level uh, and then having more kind of uh, local incentive scheme as well that, that could be uh, that could help and one of the last points is actually that we continue at the table in discussions that that sort of uh, accessibility to, te to the technologies technologies uh, especially for those people that are um, um, struggling more in terms of with adaptation of, uh, of um, uh, to, to net zero agenda and so making sure that we are providing that training and uh, uh, making sure that they actually uh, these technologies enable them to be in a safe place and also uh, support them towards the cost of this technology as well is also very important uh, as part of this this way forward. Serena, thank you very much. That makes that There was a lot to discuss. Uh, thanks to everyone that was it's, in the session. It's all your work, that. So, yeah. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, yeah, it makes absolute sense that we share and that we you know, inform and communicate between ourselves. So um, really valuable stuff. Um, Andrew, I'm going to go to you next, if I may. Thank you, Izzy, yes. Um, my name is Andrew Power. I work for Borkshire County Council, and I had the pleasure of sort of leading the Circular Economy and Waste Minimisation session this afternoon. Big thanks to everyone involved in the session, because I thought we had a really good productive session, really good conversations around the table. I was particularly um, impressed by the number of sort of like non-local authority people. No insults to local authority people, because there are a lot of us here this afternoon. Right? I had the feeling earlier on that we were a little bit one-sided, but we had a lot of actually industry people, uh, people who represented industry bodies or manufacturing industries, including aerospace and car manufacturing and so on in the room. So that, that was really, really good. So I was talking about circular economy and waste minimisation, which was really all about minimising waste and maximising resource efficiency, keeping our materials, our resources in circulation, well, in use as long as we can, and in circulation, so they then go around and, and they're used to make more products as well. So a lot of my background is about waste management. So we then talked about the opportunity in terms of the tonnage of waste, and there's four and a half million tonnes of waste deposited in um, Warwickshire and Coventry every year. Not all from within the area, a lot comes actually in, and we manage waste on behalf of others. And a lot of that management is actually reprocessing already, but there's a great opportunity to do more with that waste. Um, and that's sort of about our technology and our expertise, but also our geographical position within the, um, within the country. We then talked about some of the good work that we're doing at the moment. So we talked about the new collection services that are going to be introduced in Warwick and Stratford later on this year and how they're driving the circular economy. Um, I believe it was referred to as the Smurf earlier this morning, but we <laughs> materials recovery facility and what a great project that is in terms of delivering the infrastructure that we need. 
And then we talked about reuse at the household waste recycling centres and actually some of the successes of what we're actually doing already and how the income from that is funding Age UK for the good work that they do locally as well. So yeah, the, we, we sort of tried to answer the questions, but there are a number of themes that popped out, so I'll probably talk about that. And I think it won't be a surprise to anyone that we talked about communication and behaviour change. So this is what we do with residents. And I, I think the, the fact that we're here at a conference, we're having a conference, is a really clear statement of intent. And I think those messages, are, if we can make them strong and serious and people know about the direction of travel, I think that's a really good message that we can give out to people. But then we talked about all sorts of ways that we actually work at the moment and all sorts of ways we can in the future nudge people towards normalising a lot of the behaviours that we're talking about so we actually get the best resource management in the, in the county that we can. In terms of circular economy, we talked about the whole loop from you know, mining raw materials and product design, manufacturing, distribution, and then use, so the, the consuming a product and how, how that can be a short or long process, depending on the quality of the product sometimes, and then how we then collect and then recycle those materials. And we talked about how it was really necessary to, to target that whole loop at once. So we talked about the role of training, and there were a number of different people in the room from different industries, and we talked about you know, the way they think about waste and about the that they design and manufacture and how they're going to be reused or repaired or actually recycled afterwards. That was, that was really good. And then we talked more about um, cost, legislation and policy frameworks. So we were saying that actually what will really help us is having very clear uh, legislation, very clear policy and very clear drivers, including financial drivers, that actually drive us in the right direction. And we talked about how you know, businesses make money, that's what they do, and if you have a framework that allows businesses to make money in a certain area, then they will do that. But if you get the policy framework right and financial drivers right and cost in some of the climate impact of, of what, you know, what we do and what they do, then that actually makes it fair and drives behaviours and, and, and people in the right direction. So that was, that was really good. Um, and then in terms of um, the enablers, I think... I've, that's probably a reflection of what I've just talked about, those three areas in terms of um, communication, mm -hmm. behaviour change, good design and training for the whole of the supply loop, and then the uh, legislation and policy framework. Um, there are a couple of things that I'll just um, bring out at the end here about supporting behaviour change, because we had, a, had a, a good session on that. It was a very fast session, but perhaps that is why so many ideas just came out. This is right at the end. So people are talking about leading by example and about if we all do things and actually lead people. And we can lead people just by having a conversation. Somebody wrote down, you know, have a conversation. If we talk to people about what we're doing, if we talk to people about what we're thinking in the direction of travel, that's really good just to have that as a conversation and to have more of those conversations. Um, and then there's a, a section about making it trendy, and after you've made it trendy, to normalise it. So it just becomes the way, the way we live, what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. But yes, thank you again to everyone involved in my session. I think it was a really good session. And sorry, the feedback didn't do it justice because I don't think it covered everything that we wanted to cover. Well, we'll, um, we'll gather everyone and we'll see if we've got a little bit of time. So hopefully, um, if people want to come back on anything after everyone's had their session, then we might have five or ten minutes. So, Because um, I won't take long to wrap up, hopefully. <laughs> um, right, so then we all changed around. We all moved the deck chairs and we got into another breakout session, another three. So I'll do pretty much what um, I did do last time. I, uh, so I shall start with Christine. 
Thanks. Thanks, Izzy. Uh, thanks, colleagues. Um, our session was looking at adaptation and resilience, and the context, um, I think, is the, the, the sad realisation that, that one and a half degrees is going to be a big challenge, um, a struggle. We, we may be heading towards 2.0. We do have to adapt. We do have to boost resilience. Um, also, of course, we have the IPCC um, report from the end of February, again, highlighting the scale, the size of the adaptation gap, the fact that it's higher for the more vulnerable. And while IPCC is talking globally, we know that that also applies regionally. We had, as others, had a very wide-ranging discussion and one that's um, always a challenge to try and focus, but let me see if I can represent and do the best to represent my colleagues' views around those four themes. So challenges. Um, really, do we understand exactly what it is that we need to adapt to? Do we understand the things that are going to be problems and where it is that we need to be prepared? And in particular, we were drawn, our attention was drawn to the, to the things that we can't see. The things that aren't always visible but, but matter. And the, one of the examples of that was soil. But also, mm -hmm. I think a really important point that was made was um, that while we might talk a lot about new construction, 90% of the infrastructure that we work with will be around for the next 30 years plus, And therefore, a major challenge is how that infrastructure is adapted and how we can create some resilience with that. Who's, who's involved? Well, you know, the simple answer is everybody. Um, I think we had a number of um, important themes that came out of that, one of which was the role of the individual and the natural tension that arises around the scale of impact individuals can have and the risk that if each individual's impact is, is, is small, we don't do anything because we can't do very much. Um, but also, I think, a, a long discussion about the relative roles of, of, of developers and certainly in, in new initiatives, the fact that if something isn't required, it, will, it, it often will not be done. What's the role of government? Um, but also the fact that we all have a responsibility to lead by example, going back to a point that was made previously. Um, an interesting perspective here, I think, was the role of the fire and rescue services because the, the constraints on the ways in which we can adapt and build resilience have big implications at key points for fire and rescue. The enablers for the work that needs to be done. Um, common themes here, I think, with what you've heard from others, but there is an issue about understanding the complexity of the relationships, really getting that sort of systems thinking, trying to... Um, step back from the silos that we um, that we work with, and look from a, almost from a design thinking approach to understand how things interact and how the immediate consequences and the longer term consequences can be very different. Um, we also picked up on the theme around valuation and understanding how to value costs and benefits of decisions. Um, that are relevant to adaptation and resilience. Um, in terms of the how, um, we talked quite a lot about what mattered more, 
did we simply regulate and legislate and lay down rules? Um, to what extent could we nudge, change behaviour? Could leading by example, be, could doing things, working right up to the limits of what's allowed, actually set um, a positive culture for the way in which we can change? Um, we talked about the idea of, you know, of, of those sort of bite-side ch changes, just making some things start to happen. Um, and, and finally, I think, um, and again, I won't have covered every point that everybody made, so forgive me, but, but I think um, perhaps an interesting closing thought was the extent to which current events with um, energy prices um, and also the impact of the war in Ukraine to what extent, you know, however dreadful all of those things are, to what extent do we also have to see them as an opportunity to accelerate some of the change that we know we have to make? So apologies if I haven't reflected anybody's views in there. I'm sure there'll be time to, to add them in later. Um, but I think that's um, as quick an overview as I can give, Izzy. That's, that's great. Thank you. Um, certainly, I was there, so it kind of feels what I saw, heard. Thank you. Um, Right, planning and housing. I'm guessing, Stu, that's, that's you. That's me, yeah. So, yeah. Or it's transport, but I don't think that feels like <laughs> No, I don't think that one... I don't think I could say much on transport other than I use it. But um, so, no, thanks, Izzy. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not Dave Barber, so I'm Stuart Buckley from Workshop Property and Development Group. So, um, as I say, Dave did facilitate the session, but unfortunately he's had to leave. So, um, if, uh, and apologies to everyone if I feedback and I haven't covered all the points, but I, I think I've got the most substantive ones. Um, so we had a real sort of um, good discussion around you know, housing and planning, so I think I'll take it in that order really. So in terms of housing, um, we very much focus on the retrofit agenda because recognise that you know, that is where the majority of the built, you know, the built stock is going to be where the majority of the work needs to be done. And I think one of the things we, we sort of thought about was almost in listening to the conversations earlier today, nearly every local authority you know is doing a lot in that area mm -hmm. and a number of local authorities you know are stockholders you know there's from my simple calculations over 10,000 homes that you know the, the the councils own and each one are doing you know retrofitting agendas for those and the conversation we had sort of in the session was is there a way really for those parties to work better together so you've got sort of an economy of scale to, to what's being done and also sort of a common playbook. So what does retrofitting mean, really? So everyone has a slightly different view on that. But could you almost say, you know, from a, in, a, in a Warwickshire context, we think retrofitting is doing this, this and this and actually then going to, you know, the private sector market and saying we've got 10,000 homes over a 20 year period we want to retrofit that it gives them enough then to have the conversations with their supply chain to change you know their their way of working and the and the materials that you need to do that so we thought that could be a real opportunity to how the the sort of uh, councils could come together to sort of pursue that agenda because it linked into another point which i think most of the the local authorities who were in there with sort of housing stock were saying we're doing pilot projects, we're doing 200 units here and 200 there, but actually we're really struggling to find the contractors who, who A, will respond, because the market's quite buoyant, but B, who can actually do what we want them to do. So whereas if you could give them, you know, the, the 1,000 units to do, 
they'll be responding and they'll start to ramp up and get into that mindset of doing it. So that, that was one thing. And I think it led into a conversation then on skills because, um, the, again, there was a feeling that actually the skills aren't there to do in that context of retrofitting, but in a wider agenda from, 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 the, from sort of climate uh, and, and change, is how do we have that conversation, really? So one of the thoughts was, you know, do we have a similar session to this with the FE and HE organisations in, in Coventry and Warwickshire? And actually, you know, ask them, you know, what is it they're doing, but also what do they think needs to be done? And then bringing, you know, the, the private sector and so forth, is that the right thing? You know, is, are the skills that you know, the, the young adults and, uh, and so forth getting now the right skills for the next 10, 20 years. So, so we had a, a, a good debate really on that. So, so thanks to everyone for that. And then we did talk about then sort of almost individuals, how, how do they get the advice to retrofit their homes? Because we almost fell into two categories that on the one side, you've got sort of uh, in, in the retrofit agenda, you've got the fuel poverty and you've got people who can't afford to do the retrofitting. So how do we assist them both funding and advice and so forth in, in how to do that? But the second one, which we focused on a bit more, was actually people who have the means to do it, having the confidence to do the right thing in doing it. Because I think, again, you know, the same things around, can you find the contractors, you know, if you, you know, if you have a contractor come to your home, do you know what the saying is the right thing to do? Or is it just actually, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I think that's the best thing for you to do. So it was almost trying to see whether, is, there an, you know, is it a conversation back up to government to say you need to put in place some type of advice line to, you know, to the public to say how can this be done? I think the, the point was mentioned Scotland have this. Scotland have an advice line where people can take advice and a, a website and so understand what does retrofit mean, how can they do it, you know, where do they go to get you know, contractors and so forth. Um, so it, we, we had, a, had a good discussion on that. And then sort of finally on the housing side, it's not housing, but, but it linked in, was had a conversation on industrial development and the fact that you know, in, in new build, you've got you know, a huge amount of carbon going into it in terms of steel, concrete and so forth. But actually, I think what, what one of the... the um, uh, comments was in the Golden Triangle. There's, there's 18 million square foot of space that's unoccupied. So how do you retrofit that, and where does the you know the money, the incentive come from to help to do that? So we, we had we had a bit of a, a debate on that. Um, and then on the planning side, um, we we focused around two things really. One was does the is the MPPF fit for purpose really for the carbon and climate agenda? And, and that was sort of, you know, it, does it really give the tools to local authorities when they're determining planning applications and so forth to, to deal with that? And I don't think we concluded that, but it was, a, it was a question. And the second thing then, in terms of applications, and I'm very careful here in, from developers in saying that, but in terms of applications from developers, you know, are the councils having the tools to deal with, you know, this issue of future-proofing? Uh, developments do they have the tools to ensure that section 106s are set up in the right way mm. and take account of the fact that you know the ask might not just be monetary it might be about how you know how are you going to deal with biodiversity net gain how are you going to deal with ecology and mm. you know in much more granular detail so we, we had we had a real good discussion on on that as well um, and I think you know the question back was 
almost how do we take that away and sort of move it on really um, but hopefully that gives the flavour of the discussion and apologies if I've missed anything off the list. Great, thank you and, and thank you for feeding back that, oh. that's above and beyond so and I, I recognise there were some overlaps on discussions which um, are obviously because that's what people feel know, think about um, so we might pick that up as well um, and last but definitely not least we've got the one on sustainable travel and um, David you're going to Yes, that. that's right. Thanks. So, yeah, I'm, so I'm David Pipe. I'm part of the um, transport strategy team at Coventry City Council. Um, so I guess the, the sort of starting point for our conversation, the, the problem statement, if you like, is that uh, transport is the single largest source of greenhouse gas emissions now in, in this country. And it's also one of the policy areas where we've made relatively little progress since 1990. So while some of the other kind of areas of public policy that are represented on this stage have made quite significant reductions in their emissions already, um, transport is, is only slightly below kind of 1990 levels. And I think what that means is that the, the sort of magnitude of the change that is now required is really, really substantial. And so we talked about the need um, for, for two things, really. So first of all, bringing about a really substantial change in the way that we travel. So right now, 73% of journeys into the centre of Coventry are by car. Um, and that's just fundamentally not sustainable going forward. We're going to need a major shift towards public transport, walking and cycling, um, and also needing to accelerate the shift for all kinds of vehicles um, to, or, away from petrol and diesel and towards electric or other forms of zero emission, which is, again, an area where we've only really started to scratch the surface at the moment. Something like 1% of vehicles are electric at the moment. So that's the, the starting point and the challenge, if you like, um, we talked a lot around then what are the obstacles to prevent us making that challenge and then some, some priority areas. So I guess starting with the obstacles, um, we talked a bit about how bringing about a change in people's travel behaviour is maybe more difficult in some locations than others. So, for <coughs> example, you know, it's much easier to create uh, you know, high-quality, high-frequency public transport systems in urban Coventry mm -hmm. than it is compared to some of the, the, the more rural parts of Warwickshire where that's always going to be more of a challenge and a service like that is never going to be commercially viable. Um, and we also talked about the, how it's much easier to shift the sort of shorter journeys that are within a single urban area compared to intra-city travel but actually the, the majority of carbon emissions from transport come from longer distance journeys uh, and right now we have very good public transport connections with Birmingham and with London but if you want to travel to any other urban centre <coughs> that's not on that train line um, it's most likely that car is your default option and that's not an easy fix. Um, we also talked a little bit about the difference between where we're building new areas, so you know extensions to, to, to urban areas where you've got an opportunity to design something from scratch and you can try to build in the infrastructure for sustainable transport from the start, uh, compared to the challenge of trying to retrofit our existing cities, which is of course much, much more challenging and much more difficult. Um, another area we talked around was the difficulty and this is around public transport specifically, there's a kind of constraint uh, imposed by the fact that we require commercial viability in our public transport systems, which of course not all countries necessarily expect that to the same extent that we do. Um, but that, that is a constraint that often um, prevents 
um, you know, it, it can, it, you're constrained to a certain level of provision because you can only do largely what's commercially viable with a, a small amount of subsidy on top, uh, and that's a real challenge. Um, and then we also talked about challenges and barriers to people making the change and behaviour change. Uh, and I think something that came up a lot was concerns around safety, which I guess is most obvious in the context of you know cyclists on busy roads. But actually, this came up in quite a few different contexts. We also talked about it in terms of people travelling on public transport late at night, um, waiting at bus stops or places where there were EV charging points and things, and whether places were well lit and felt safe, and, and the contrast between that and travelling in your car when you're, where you're in your own enclosed bubble and it, it feels like a safe space and, and that as a, an obstacle that we have to get over if we want people to travel in a different way. Um, so then we talked a bit about some of the priorities and some of the areas that we would want to focus on uh, and we talked a little bit about the importance of having both carrots and sticks. So I think obviously we recognise that there's a major investment required in, in new infrastructure for public transport, walking, cycling and so on. Um, but I think quite a few people in the room also felt that people would probably need a bit more of a nudge than that in order to, to encourage them to do it. And I think at least some people in the room were quite keen on some of the measures that have been introduced in other cities around you know, road user charging, workplace parking levies in places like Nottingham, things like that. Um, we also talked about the the option to remove some journeys altogether. Um, so there are a few opportunities here, obviously, the, the kind of post-pandemic work-from-home um, environment and, and what we can do to maybe encourage employers not to drag everybody back to the office just for the sake of it, but to recognise that there is, there is a benefit to, to more flexible working, including an environmental benefit to that. Um, and we also talked about um, a kind of planning opportunity in terms of one of the things we saw during the pandemic was more people using their local shops and, and facilities instead of necessarily always going to the city centre. Uh, and I think that's, that's given rise to this idea around the sort of 15-minute city, which is this concept that if you live in an urban area, you should be able to access most of the things that you need within a 15-minute walk of your house. Um, and so there's something about how we plan the places that we live and whether there is an opportunity to, to build in that, that kind of concept. Um, and then I think maybe lastly, just on a really practical point, um, something that I hadn't previously thought about um, was the sort of ability that we have as organisations that between us have perhaps quite a lot of spending power and we procure a lot of stuff. Um, you know, and do we, do we ask those questions of the people that we work with and the people who we give our money to about what are they doing with their own fleets, with their own policies around work from home and so on, do we require of, of, the, of our partners and the people we work with the sorts of behaviours that, that we need to see? Thank you, David. And that is a very good segue to end on. So thank you for that. Um, time is actually um, going to beat us. So we've got about five minutes to um, wrap up at the end. Um, and, I, and I did, there's just a couple of things I just need to say. So, firstly, um, there are some thank yous, some obvious thank yous that we need to do. Um, I need to thank the University of Warwick for um, enabling this wonderful event today and for this great venue. It is lovely, isn't it? Um, I, I want to thank those presenters who, who contributed 
to our thinking process this morning, which was really good, and they put time and effort into getting those slides and those presentations together. Um, our facilitators here, who did a wonderful job on guiding those conversations and feeding back your work as well. So thank you for, for that work today. Um, I, I really want to thank to the team of Warwickshire, under Steve, under you, and all of those who have put a lot of time and effort into pulling this together today. It doesn't just happen like that. So thank you for that. And there'll probably be a whole load of work that carries on after this, which I hope you will get the benefit of as well. Um, but actually none of it, absolutely none of it would be worth tuppence halfpenny if you weren't here contributing and giving up your day, uh, which is a big give up, and I'm very appreciative of that, to help us in our thinking process. Um, so thank you, and I think hopefully just internally a big clap for all of you. So, the, so I guess the big thing that we all now need to say is, so what? What now? Um, where do we go from here? We were all prepared to give up this day because it mattered, and now we need to take this forward. And I think there are one or two um, very obvious things. That there's going to be a bit of a write-up, and what we will do is make sure that you're all engaged and part of that, and uh, we can then take this forward. I would throw out a few things that I think we could probably take forward. Um, firstly, um, absolutely harnessing the power of those young people who contributed today, that ongoing discussion that we need to have and finding time and space that works for them because they gave up some of their day and some of their school hours to do this. Um, so, and all of you have, had, have actually guided some of these thoughts here. So harnessing government funding um, by perhaps working together and getting some scale around what we can do because there's no doubt that um, if we've got that joint ambition uh, evidenced and we're bidding at some scale, the, the likelihood is we'll get more out of that central pot. Um, so, And then, of course, there's harnessing the collective power that gets us to that point, influencing change, influencing others who maybe haven't been here today, haven't found the time. Um, so we've all got a role to play within that. Um, I think there's something that we could do, which is capturing the moment now. So, uh, you know, what are we doing? Have, do we know what we're all doing? Perhaps we could share that, um, calculate what our budgets are on this spend, carbon um, budgets and perhaps the cost we've got, and looking at whether there's a better way of doing that, whether collectively we might even want to do that. Uh, you know, there's some simple practical stuff I would suggest around, you know, uh, actually finding a forum for us to work on a regular basis to look at that. And one of the big opportunities I would suggest is we've just had the levelling up white paper. Actually, there's some opportunity there. So why would this not be one of our bids, one of our devolution opportunities and the conversations that we want to talk to government about um, and bearing in mind that climate change will affect the most vulnerable people so levelling up it, it will touch those um, opportunities for us um, so uh, collaboration 
thinking about our own fleets. Can we do something better together? Pop that out there. Um, we're all doing tree planting. We've heard about it today. Um, so you know, perhaps we should look at the scale, the opportunity around that, and whether the. And can I just talk about hedges as well as trees? Hedges become trees if you do nothing with them. So, uh, and we talked about hedges, I think, didn't we, Ed? So, yeah, hedges are good. Birds like going in them. Um, so, um, and a sub-regional and scoring strategy. So, actually, if what we do, then we need to check out, see, uh, evidence it, and see whether we've made um, achievements that are worth putting out there. So, I think some really great results. Um, I'm very grateful to you. Uh, if you feel there's anything that you want to put in, contribute, feedback, so it gets captured, I'm looking at Steve. Um, go to Steve, not me. <laughs> there he is. And, and we will make sure that that's in there. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much for today. It's been really good. And it's been lovely doing it in person. Uh, getting those ideas sparking. Well done, all of you. That was a podcast from Coventry Climate Action Network. To hear more of our podcasts, visit kofkan.uk.